Well, let's rock and roll. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Harper. I'm Jonathan. And this is Hot Guys. Authentic knowledge and feelings. I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. You want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, whoa. But I'm really not funny. No, no, no. no. And today we are joined by a wonderful guest, an excellent musician, and you may know him from his work on our very own theme song, it's Connor Vance. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is very exciting. Yeah. It's an honor and a pleasure. This feels like a full circle moment, you know? Yeah. You've really been with does. us since the beginning of this of this whole project. Mm-hmm. In spirit. In spirit. And now and, you're here yeah. in digital. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so impressed with what every with everything that you guys are doing. Oh, thank what you. What episode number is this? This is gonna be, I want to say 66, maybe. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We're we're in deep. Yeah. yeah. And we're it's such experts time. that we almost missed this movie. Yes, we did almost miss this movie. I want to say a huge shout out to Jossie Kaufman, who came on a couple episodes ago. And she was like, oh, are you guys going to talk about The King soon? And I was like, I have no idea what that is. It somehow just wasn't on my radar. Uh, wow, that's a good catch. Because like, he, he plays a small role, but I think it's a very important role in the movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. But before we get into all that, um, Connor, what's your relationship like with Ethan Hawke? Well, he was sort of like on the peripherals of my awareness for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I'm, you know, being a musician, actually, this isn't an excuse, but I'm just like bad at movies and such, <laughs> like notoriously bad at movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I didn't realize he's been in all these movies that I just didn't <laughs> notice him in <laughs> mm-hmm. until you, you brought Ethan Hawke into our awareness. <laughs> when i was looking for samples for the theme song i had to look up like ethan hawk quotes or like notable ethan hawk sayings and i realized like he has quite a unique persona and character he's not just like this quiet semi-handsome looking dude in all those movies you see it's like oh he's actually got he's got some fire into the things he says totally. so that, that was sort of my backwards way of becoming closer with ethan hawk mm-hmm yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, I we, I never really asked you before, can you talk a little bit about how you, like, made the theme song? Because it's so good. I love hearing it every time I put, I, you know, work on an episode. I listen to it all the way through when I'm editing every time. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to re-edit, I got one for you. Um, but, so you, you sent me that episode, and your humor from the episode you sent me of you two talking brought a lot of the energy of the piece. Mm-hmm. You guys messing around with each other, and I, there were a lot of good lines from that, and then I forget who Ethan Hawke was being interviewed by, but he was spitting out all this wisdom and there's these like deep <laughs> truths. He just spits it so clearly. Mm-hmm. Like, damn. He's, and then he says like, you just want a clip that'll make people laugh. And it's like, wow, he's just telling it so crystal <laughs> yeah. clear. So that was the basis. And then I tried to sample Oh Captain, My Captain from mm-hmm. the actual footage, mm-hmm. but there's like music yes. under that line. Yeah. 
and that kind of messed me up, but he says that in an interview. So I was able to sample that interview where he screams, oh, Captain, my captain. Oh, wow. Okay. To, yeah. I have to find the movie quotes in other instances. Right, right. I've always wondered where that sample was from because it doesn't sound like the movie. So, you know, it no. sounds a little different. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was actually curious if you're going to grill me on that. Like, that's not the legit movie quote. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. No, it's it's so good. It's it's such a joy to listen to that. And we and really appreciate it. The rest it. of the music, I took samples from uh, this artist, Yusu Endure, you know. A Senegalese musician. Oh he's yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, <laughs> he's incredible. Yeah. So I was like, I'd I'd been wanting to sample and splice one of his songs for a while, so I just made this that the opportunity. Very cool. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. It's very like it's like a kind of jaunty kind of yeah. almost experimental. I don't know. It's it's a very fun song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that that melody. It's you know in the actual song I could find it for you. It's a lot lower, so I pitched it up. For the theme song. Mm-hmm. Oh, very nice. This nice. is like an episode of like Song Exploder. Yeah, Song Exploder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should just like splice in all the parts you're talking about. Do you have? Do you have a, I could do that. Uh, what's uh, what's the who's the what's the host's name? Uh, Rishi K. Sherwood. Yeah. Do you have a? Uh, do you do an impression of him? I no, I don't have a Rishi impression. <laughs> <laughs> if this were Song Exploder, I'd just be like, and then I called my friend Mark Bronson, and he put some synths on it. Yeah, it's all about name dropping. Yeah, it he really also is. Rishi almost never talks in that show. The whole the whole point is that he he's just like take he interviews them, but then yes, cuts himself yes, out entirely. Yes. But the intros and the outros, That's true. And all that. Yeah, like when he says he he does have a very like NPR kind of. He really does. Yeah, and now presented in its entirety. That's pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, he's very objective about it. He lets the art stick with the artists. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I mostly listen to him on the West Wing Weekly, which is one of the greatest podcasts of all time, in my oh. opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Um, well, cool, cool, cool. Um, do you have any uh, favorite Ethan Hawke movies, though? You know, I didn't realize he was a Gattaca. Yeah, mm-hmm. a classic. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves Gattaca. And it is one of my, well, it had. it's not one of my favorite movies, but it did have a lasting impression on me. So I would say that perhaps that is my favorite ethan hawk appearance nice yeah did you watch it in a high school biology class how middle school middle yes. school oh. wow that's racy i feel like there's <laughs> steamy scenes in there even better yeah i love it that's so fun um yeah it's also one of um bella swan from twilight it's one of her favorite movies <laughs> as i learned in midnight sun uh, did you I, have her on the podcast as well oh the dream i would love to talk to bella swan not not Kristen not kristen stewart, stewart. Bella, bella the character from twilight <laughs> Beautiful. yeah um yeah and then we could talk all about daybreakers and the representation of vampires <laughs> <laughs> she'd be like this movie's so problematic <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did watch The King. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a different movie than a lot of the things yes. we've seen before. It's a documentary, and we haven't done too many of those. We did... Maxima Culpa. Yeah, Maya Maxima Culpa, which was about the priest abuse of children. Um, and then we watched... Um, Ethan Hawke directed a documentary called Seymour and Introduction, mm-hmm. um, which I loved a lot. And so this one is... Uh, he produced it, and he's featured in it. But it was directed by Eugene Trebecki. I'm going to look that up real quick. It's something quite like that, if it's not that. Uh, Jarecki. Eugene Jarecki. 
and it's all about Elvis. But is it really yes. about Elvis? Or is it about America? Yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so the like the kind of like concept of this uh this documentary is like very interesting because what they did was they got one of Elvis's cars, it's a Rolls Royce. Yes. And they take it around and they have it all rigged up with cameras like set up inside the car and outside the car and then also there's like a secondary vehicle with a camera on it as well and they film the interviews most of the interviews inside the car Mm -hmm. which is very cool i liked it a lot it's like you know it's so hard to make like to make a documentary different especially when it's something that's kind of about you know the life of a musician it's so easy to just like have people sitting in front of a piano you know or like you know all that kind of stuff and so they made it like they made it move they made the story move Mm -hmm. with elvis's lifetime and they drive in all the different places and it's very cool it's a very cool movie yeah and at times it seems like the director didn't even know what his documentary was about thematically Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i think having the car take them along the way through the story and sort of piecing together after the fact worked really well for this yeah definitely i think that they started filming the documentary like years before the election actually so it's it really builds up to the 2016 election and that's kind of like the thesis at the end of the movie is like Mm -hmm. you know this the american way of life is in decline or is stagnant however you want to put it um and that's related to like the decline of elvis as well um and it really ties everything together with images and clips from the 2016 election but when he started filming it, we weren't anywhere close to the 2016 election, I don't think. Right. So that would have had to all come together kind of towards the end. Like, you know, oh, this is all the footage I have. And now here we are in America. And like, it all makes sense now. And I think I'm okay with that choice, A, because it actually works mm-hmm. as, you know, as a parallel line. It actually is a pretty good metaphor for the country. And B, I think as much as we can shed light on the disaster that's occurring, the better yeah um i mean yeah my main takeaway on elvis was just that he was so unaware and undeveloped like he never had a chance to mature and realize his role you know in the cultural phenomena yeah and i'm just now i'm thinking about oh like is that what america is going through right now like we don't realize what happened to us and now we're suffering the fires that we set a long time ago yeah, I think that's, that's a totally fair parallel connection to make. Were either of you El- big Elvis fans before, prior to watching this movie? I, uh, I, 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 I kind of never really knew that much about Elvis. Like, I kind of knew some of the like broad strokes of his life. I knew like some of the songs, um, and stuff like that. But I. Yeah, I never really had that strong. I feel like, I, I don't know, I think maybe Elvis is something that someone has to bring you into, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, I grew up like I was listening to the Beatles and stuff, which obviously were like, you know, massively influenced by Elvis. But that's kind of what I grew up listening to. So I kind of didn't go. And then in high school, like I started listening to like Buddy Holly and stuff like that. But mm. I never really, yeah, I never really connected that much with or tried to connect that much with Elvis. I think he's, uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's a great singer. He's a great performer. I don't think, uh, I mean, it's, yeah. But uh, but I just kind of never, 
um, had that much of a connection with him. Mm-hmm. Connor, what about you? I have a sort of a roundabout way of liking his songs. Um, I know all of his songs from an album that the folk and bluegrass guitar player Doc Watson made called Dockabilly. Oh, neat. And Doc Watson is he's a blind flat picker and he plays a lot of blues. And the cover is Doc Watson, blind glasses on, driving a Cadillac. It's a great cover. Mm-hmm. So I knew all these songs and I loved them, but they're all these like acoustic folk style versions of Elvis's songs. Yeah, Elvis himself, I was kind of turned off because he was so showy and like mm-hmm. kind of flashy and mm-hmm. clean and pretty. I was, I'm pretty anti-pop music and anti-popular things. Not not that it's better. It's actually to my discredit. But um, <laughs> I I think I definitely got definitely get a deeper appreciation for why he was popular. And it was actually you know it's quite sad. Like all there are tons of black artists that could just have well been as popular but you know to the fall of american culture they weren't totally. and he just happened to be the person that was white and bringing the same energy and i'm curious i'm curious how much of that played a role in me liking elvis and not liking elvis because i don't know my, my parents never really listened to him but we listened to plenty of the blues and things that might have influenced elvis but personally like i yeah i don't really feel that much for his music but personally now i i definitely have a lot more empathy for who he was and why he felt so sad at the very end Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think also part of it is that just like musically it can be kind of hard to connect with elvis because like you know blues like there's a lot of bands today that like incorporate blues and stuff like that um and but Elvis's sound is so, it just feels kind of of a specific time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, you don't really hear, like, that kind of song anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there are plenty of b- bands that are doing stuff that sounds kind of similar to, like, Muddy Waters or whatever else. Like, whatever blues-inspired sure. stuff. But the the rock and, like, the, the, the way the songs are structured, it does feel a little, like, I don't know, uh, of, of a specific time. Yeah. Kind of it's, like, uh, yeah. Kind of it's like absolutely with, true. Yeah. Like, I mean, the songs definitely had other influences in, in the rhythm and whatnot. And also his voice was so velvety. Yeah. So yeah. he was definitely bringing a different vocal aspect to the music as well. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like with like early Motown and stuff like that, where it was like, I mean, it was literally written like it as a factory. It was designed to be, mm-hmm. they were all written like by a very specific, like, Holland, Dozier, and Holland. Like there, there was like a group of people that just like cranked out these songs, and there's a reason that they have kind of a similar sound is because they were like manufactured. Yeah, Yeah. and like I don't have a problem with that. I love Motown, but there is a reason that like some of the early Motown stuff has does sound like oh we're listening to old music, whereas if you listen to like you know uh, Marvin Gaye once he kind of started breaking free from like the restrictions and stuff like that it does sound like oh this could have you know you listen to like uh um what is the name of the album what's going on yeah you listen to what's going on you're like oh this could have come out like in the 90s or something like that like it's Mm -hmm. it it feels it feels expansive and and it pulls from different influences and things like that so yeah. I don't know how I got yeah. to, but I, I really <laughs> just went completely off the rails no. there. But. No, that's good. Well, it, I mean, it's super interesting because there are a lot of musicians that, you know, influence him. And I, I, 
you know, definitely from today's lens, I'm like looking at it and realizing how complicit he was in such a sad reality of racism in our country, but also like he was never able to really appreciate his role and it wasn't his fault necessarily. Yeah. But I think had he been made aware of his role and his luck in the situation, he may have spoken out against it more later on, but it seems like, you know, when he had the chance to, he just didn't have the maturity or the self-awareness or, or was willing to lose all of the following that he had gained from, you know, white supremacist values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also, but I mean, also the other thing is like, he had so, I would say like little control over his life by that point, you know, like with yeah. the, like the drug addiction and also like the way that his manager was seemingly like, I don't know how he really would have had like the one like the mental faculty maybe because he didn't really seem like he was with it very much and two like the you know i don't know the ability under his contract who knows yeah i mean a lot of a lot of what i've read like about elvis and his legacy like it is it's it's i mean it's more complicated and like nuanced than like uh than like you know some will say like oh he's he was just doing his own thing or whatever and some will say like oh he totally stole the music um but i I think like i feel like the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle because he definitely like pop was became popular because he was emulating like black singers and things like that um but also like i mean there were times where i like there was this quote where he was like praising like he was saying like oh i could never sing like fats domino like i i I can only do my thing but i'm not like so he wasn't like pretending to be necessarily Mm. better Mm -hmm. or like the standard bearer for uh rock and roll he was just he kind of was like elevated to that position absolutely um and even like uh you know in this in this documentary uh chuck d you know he has some kind of like complex things to say about elvis's legacy even though he's like has the most famous line yeah. about elvis's legacy which is like you know elvis is a hero to most yeah but he never mentioned it to me so it's like it, it is interesting like how how co- complex his that aspect of his legacy is and like you know i think it was like little richard that was saying like oh he it was like in the 70s he was saying like oh elvis like you know he, he was speaking very positively of elvis because he was saying like that this kind of music wasn't really getting on the radio and Elvis, you could say either he co-opted it, and that's a fair argument to make as well, but also he kind of, he made the music more popular, which did lead to, like, some black artists being able to be on the radio. So it is kind of a complex thing, and it's like, you know, I think there's there's definitely a bit of both, and you can definitely, like, criticize, for example, like, the fact that he didn't, um, that he never spoke out on, like, social issues and things like mm-hmm. that um but yeah i don't know it's interesting yeah Yeah. (laughs) one thing i really appreciated about this movie is that like the talking heads came from like multiple different facets of Mm -hmm. american culture and uh you know so like it's not just musicians talking about elvis and just talking about elvis history we also do have this whole section where they do focus on like you know the like racial implications of elvis's popularity and rise um, where we have, you know, Chuck D, as you mentioned, but also Van Jones yeah. uh, talking about, you know, appropriation. And I don't know. I just, I, and also the, 
the uh what's his name the showrunner creator of the wire oh yeah um, david simon yeah, yeah yeah you know it's like all different kinds of people with different perspectives yeah. and experiences that are talking about yeah. uh talking about elvis mm-hmm. and america you know yeah i i thought the david simon part was like one of the funniest things in this movie because he's yeah. basically like he was kind of just like grilling the director he's like why didn't you get like if this is supposed to be a movie about uh you america know, america why didn't you get one of the american cars instead of an english car which was just kind of a funny like and i do i do i i have like problems with this documentary but i do kind of appreciate how willing he was to be like uh, like I don't know everything. Like, I don't know exact, I don't know totally what I'm doing or where I'm going. And he has people that are willing to say that to him and he puts them in the documentary as well. So Mm -hmm. I I do kind of appreciate that aspect of it. I guess the question worth researching is why, like, how did he end up with this car? Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't know how exactly, but I do know it was $400,000 to get Mm -hmm. this car. Um, and I mean, considering it was owned by Elvis, like, yeah, that's could have could have been a lot more, you know. That's true. So four thousand, like four hundred thousand for it was. Did they sale outright? Did they buy? They, they bought it didn't they? at an auction right. from Bonhams. Oh, okay, so they that's... owned. They, they they weren't just borrowing it. They bought. No, it. they bought. Yeah. The production company bought it, and that's very affordable. Yeah, but for like a documentary. I don't know. I feel like that's that's I mean, a, that's yeah. a really high budget documentary. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> when you consider that the car is part of the like cost of making this film. It's true. Well, it sounds like that was the seed of his entire concept. Yeah. I have a car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but we got the car. Okay. Yeah. Lead yeah. actor done. <laughs> yeah. So I I imagine that this was probably the only Elvis car that they could get their hands on. Yeah. I mean, know? very well could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The most interesting reaction to me. And the car was John Hyatt who got in and cried. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, wow, does he miss Elvis? And he's like, no, he could feel Elvis's sadness. It's like, man, that hurts. Cause you could tell how, how much that meant to John, like how, how much of that pain that John could relate to and could see that was really impactful for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, one thing about this car, you know, he talks about how he can feel how trapped Elvis must've felt back there. And um, then they kind of like, I'd say like kind of add to that sensation by throwing as many people as possible into the car. (laughs) You know, there are times when they have like they have the driver, the director and like six other people crammed in this one car to and camera operators. (laughs) Yeah. So it's 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 a very interesting visual effect and it is claustrophobic for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, but often it's like kind of joyful as well because there's so much singing that happens in the car throughout the movie. Right. It starts with this, um, like the first musician we see is this little girl named Emmy Sunshine. I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> I thought she was so much fun. She's so Nashville. She's like very country. Um, and her hair is all done up perfectly. And then her dad messes up her hair in the car. It's so good. And her band is like her dad and her uncle. Yeah, they're all like related to her. Yeah. um yeah so that was fun and some other people we uh see performing in the car along the way are like m ward Mm -hmm. um and then who else emmylou harris is in the car but she doesn't doesn't, sing she just talks yeah yeah Yeah, i appreciate that they had you know smaller just like 
local the choir this yes. group was ridiculous yeah, yeah that was so much fun yeah. and that's the one where it was like really a, cra- a packed car and there was someone who had their like legs laid out across the other people that <laughs> right. were and sitting they had, in the they car put, like the keyboard yeah. over them and all that yeah 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 so that was kind of a neat way to break up the movie so it's not mm-hmm. all talking yeah which i think was important mm-hmm. especially because you know it's about elvis you know there's got to be true. there's got to be yeah, music in this songs. documentary um yeah i was gonna say you know ethan hawk comes in at some point and he drops some of the most wise knowledge on us and he's the one who sort of breaks the illusion of democracy he (laughs) says you know we think uh, there was one point when the strongest value in the country was democracy and at some point without realizing it we prioritize capitalism over that without realizing it and i was like once again, Ethan Hawke coming through with like the really insightful realness. He like mm-hmm. played such a pivotal role. I was like, okay, but it's true. Like we have this democracy, but it's conditional on actually it's capitalism. As long as capitalism, because as long as capitalism is working, we'll we'll call it a democracy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thank you, Ethan Hawke, Ethan Hawke, for keeping it real. Yeah, I I love Ethan Hawke always, but I did especially love him in this movie because he really like knew his stuff. Like on top of the wisdom that he was, you know, sharing with us, he also served as basically like, like the, the Elvis historian. Yeah, he was the closest this movie had to like a narrator because he like mm-hmm. gave he gave a lot of the important biographical details about like uh, this the uh, Colonel whatever his name was mm-hmm. who kind of found him and and like scouted him or whatever um, and and the kind of like d- difficult relationship they had in which he was kind of like controlling him and he took like a enormous sum uh, like an enormous percentage uh, of Elvis's earnings and all this stuff like he, he had gotten this kind of deal that was like not not the kind of deal someone who's immensely talented um would hope to get yeah it was a 50 50 deal which is yeah. insane yeah, like I mean, 50, that's basically, yeah that's dictating your life at that point yeah it reminds me a lot of the brian wilson dr landy dynamic mm-hmm. where like brian wilson's whole life was basically in this guy's control and he was trying to profit off of it and you know elvis is just trying to stay afloat to it you know until that became his entire way of life and it really did dictate his entire life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely they definitely paint him as like a tragic kind of figure. Yeah. One thing I really liked about the Ethan Hawke part of the of the whole thing is um, at the beginning he starts like the first time he really delves into like a biography thing he stops himself and he's like is this interesting because <laughs> you can tell that like you know he he probably got pulled in as a producer or knew the director before I probably more likely he knew the director yeah. beforehand and was like this is a great idea we're gonna make this happen because Ethan Hawke loves shit like this <laughs> and yeah. cars America <laughs> sign me up yeah <laughs> So, um, so I imagine that he probably already liked Elvis, but then being like the big reader nerd that he is got really into Elvis and learned all of his biographical stuff. And that's how he was able to really chart out Elvis's life like this throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, Cause he does admit outright that he was like, he was like the first thing he says mm-hmm. about Elvis is like, Oh, I didn't really like, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, Oh, Elvis, like he, he was just like making jokes about him basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, he was saying that he only knew Elvis from like the kind of decline of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he had a, f- a friend set him straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he kind of he kind of didn't. Uh, it's not like uh, you know, like David Simon, who clearly is like a diehard mm-hmm. kind of Elvis fan. Yeah. Some other fun people that we see are Alec Baldwin. <laughs> who is kind of I it makes a lot of sense actually because of his role as Donald Trump in a Saturday mm. Night Live. So when you bring Alec Baldwin in and we're getting closer to 2016 at that point of the documentary, um, it all kind of ties together. And uh, yeah, Alec Baldwin is just a real hoot in this movie. Uh, he they're like they're like right outside of 30 Rock and there are all these people there trying to get a selfie with him he's like everyone has a fucking camera now. <laughs> yeah. um, and then what he said what really killed me he said oh, Trump's yeah. not gonna win yeah yeah, yeah. A lot of, I think I mean literally everybody was saying it but it's having that quote in the movie was yeah it hurt yeah. definitely it yeah. hurt it was you know it's super interesting hearing his take and also action kusher's take of the role of you know celebrity and fandom and fame because they can speak so personally to what elvis went through Mm -hmm. you know specifically how how much your life rides on it and how much that fame and your the success of your business rides on you you know you make one mess up and your fame is gone yeah um and that's so much pressure to be under Definitely. And especially like for Ashton Kutcher, who was like famous pretty young, and like Elvis as well, you know, he got started early. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the line I took down from Ashton Kutcher, he said, "You look at Elvis. Was anybody ready to be in a world where everyone's watching?" And they kind of like cut that together. Or the time that he's talking about that, all these people, and I don't know how much of this was like real or how much of this was like creative documentary <laughs> filmmaking, but like these um, like Hollywood tour vans oh, kept yeah. going past yeah, behind yeah, him yeah, and yeah. being like, yeah. "We love you, Ashton." <laughs> yeah. So at the auction, they bought uh, uh, the Rolls Royce, and they yeah. also picked up a couple of tour buses, and they're like, "We got to <laughs> use these tour buses somehow." <laughs> The tour buses were five hundred thousand each. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forget what I was gonna say. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess let's talk about some of the places they go. They start off in uh, what's it? Tupelo. 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 Yeah. Tupelo. Um, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, um, Mississippi, I believe, where he was born and raised um Mm -hmm. they go to like his the place of his birth like the house where he was born is like a you know a landmark where people it's like a tourist location so they go there and then from there they go to memphis they move to all the they go to all the places that elvis lived throughout his life yeah yeah have you guys ever done anything like that like gone to someone's like um in Memphis, I sat in the booth where Elvis would always eat at a diner. Wow. And it was right by the back door so that he could escape when he was, you know, being, mm-hmm. That's cool. being adored. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I yeah. The first thing that came to mind was when I was looking at colleges, I did like an East Coast college tour. We stopped by the real world DC house. <laughs> that was truly the first thing that came to mind. Amazing. <laughs> um 
But no, I think in San Francisco, kind of not too far from where my uncle lives, there's um, maybe a place where Allen Ginsberg or Jack Kerouac lived. Mm-hmm. That I ha- There's a photo of me at some point outside of this location. <laughs> I cannot tell you. That's fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, because cause it reminded me of, because I, I went to, um, this is like, I think this was in 2016. This is like during the election. And I went to, they were opening the... Uh, Nixon, they were reopening the Nixon oh, library right. and they had like kind of redone it and all this stuff. And I went to see because I was like, I mean, this is kind of an interesting thing. And uh, and the, Nixon's house is on the grounds of the library. Very and it's cool. like this tiny, I mean, it's, it's like the whole thing is like half the size of our living room. Like it's so small. And you like walk through it and you know, all, all everything is just smaller, you know what I mean? Like it just feels like, it's just such a weird thing. Like, and it kind of, the Elvis house kind of looked the same where it's like, it's just a different idea of like what a house was. Like today mm-hmm. it's like, we think of these big things, but that's what a lot of people, you know. Yeah. yeah. One kind of recurring theme, you know, we talked about how, uh, the director was kind of open about talking to people about what the film was even going to be about. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and that's a lot of that is included in the movie. Uh, It's uh, self-reflexive, one might say. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I might say. Um, And, but part of the like self-reflexivity of this documentary is also like the car itself breaks down a lot. And so every, uh, probably not every time, because I imagine it broke down way more than we saw. Yeah, but we see it happen like once. We see it a couple times. times. Yeah, where the car breaks down, like usually while they're in the process of interviewing someone. And then they have to like get at like, you know, like crew members have to get out and push the car to the side. And then you see it get towed. Or you see them push the car to the side of the road and someone's like working on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you see everything that's kind of going on with this car and the whole documentary is kind of like, a, you know, like about the journey as well as Elvis and as well as America. And, you know, the whole thing is a big metaphor for decline, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that self-reflexivity worked in this piece. You know, sometimes that's, that can be super annoying and like indulgent. But yeah. like, okay, because first it like yeah it worked with the theme of like okay this this thing is breaking down whether it's elvis or whether it's our democracy or whatever and also it was seen through the lens of either the tow truck driver who's like so what are you even doing with this movie anyways this isn't gonna work you know (laughs) so you get to see that person's take you get to see other perspectives on whatever the subject is whether it's the car or elvis or the democracy so i think it actually yeah luckily fit in with the theme Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah, I agree. I don't think it was too much. It felt like just the right amount, you know, which is so it's a really difficult yeah. tightrope mm-hmm. to walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at first, like all the Trump stuff was like, OK, like everybody's doing like references to Trump. Like we get it, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, wait, this is actually part of the story. <laughs> yeah, and it's worth telling. It's it's worth telling. It's worth <laughs> focusing on it until this problem is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so oh yeah so one other um contributor we have in this movie is mike myers who gives us the canadian immigrant perspective of america and elvis um and it's it's very fun how they cut him in he's like black and white lying on a couch on his side uh you know very mike myers fun um and he kind of talks about like the difference in the mission statements between like america and canada Mm -hmm. and how uh canada is about like you know 
peace and good government and america is more about the individual he was also talking about uh he was like burger king the king <laughs> uh and if there was something else he mentioned he's like i never understood why you know you threw off the shackles of monarchy and then you went and named everything king mm-hmm. yeah and then there's like kind of a whole portion about new york as well mm-hmm. um where we see uh dan rather uh climbs to like the top of the empire state building (laughs) when it's cut spliced together with king kong like a montage yeah yeah um yeah and king kong kind of is like a recurring like visual motif in this Mm -hmm. movie Mm -hmm. and then sometimes that like they tie that into like like racism right you know when the during the conversation about appropriation and then other times they tie it into i don't know like kind of like the the power and the hustle and bustle of new york it seems to have like multiple different meanings throughout the course of this movie yeah that that reference you know it wasn't exactly a clear you know motive for what what they were using king kong for Mm -hmm. Um, but geez dan rather i was scared for him climbing (laughs) (laughs) well he's he got you know stabbed in the when it was i don't know the 80s or 90s or whatever and he's fine now so Mm -hmm. wow you know i i uh He'll be okay. Yeah, I believe in Dan rather. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I th- the you know the King Kong thing like that's I think that's kind of a good example. Like I think there are some things in this documentary that do feel a little bit like okay, we're gonna we're gonna take some kind of American things and we're gonna like put them in front of you, but there's enough of them in this movie to where you can't possibly connect all of them back to Elvis or you know what this movie is really supposed to be about. And so there are some things about this movie that do feel kind of, um, you know, like even some of the people that they interview, it's a little bit like, uh, well, we got them to be here, so we might as well talk to them. And and they don't always necessarily have the most direct insights to like Elvis himself, because, you know, most of them wouldn't have known him. And then we kind of meet like near the end of the movie, we kind of meet... Uh, the guy that was his hairdresser and the uh, mm-hmm. like, w- his one-time girlfriend and stuff like that. Um, so I think there, I think there are some things that like maybe we, maybe we didn't need to to have to like tell the story, especially mm-hmm. like because it is it's uh, it's like a, an hour fifty almost. Or yeah, it's like, like almost two hours. Yeah, it's it's on the yeah. longer side of like demo- uh, democracy <laughs> documentaries. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I, I do think there are some kind of things that do feel a little like, you know, that, that they didn't necessarily have to be there or like, or they, maybe they introduced them, but there just wasn't enough time because they were covering all these things that maybe they introduced them and they couldn't quite pull it back to, um, to, to what the center of the movie was. And that's like kind of the risk of like, I still appreciate that they did it, but that is kind of the risk mm-hmm. of being like, oh, what are we doing with this documentary? Is that someone might be able to throw that back at you and be like, well, what are you doing with this documentary? Mm-hmm. And there are definitely right. some moments in this that feel like, well, what are you doing with this documentary? Like, <laughs> um, but I mean, like, you know, like the, the, just the, the setup of like them driving in the car and like, and I, there's a lot of ambition that I really like respect of what this movie did. I just don't think they always pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, it wasn't like a straight biographical documentary. Yeah. It was like yeah. half art piece, half, 
you know, political commentary, half a lineage of his life. Because, like, you know, it glances over so much of his familial and love life story. Yeah, so definitely. I guess I could have used more of that. But I suppose that just depends on what guests they have and what the guests that they have actually know. Or maybe that story's been told well elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and even uh, what, there was an interesting element that, like, I thought they would have uh, drawn on more, which was... I mean, the whole thing is like tying uh, Elvis to like America, and there was the the whole the, they kind of it's a little bit brief when they mentioned the whole thing with uh, him like going to Nixon and like wanting to be yeah. like a DEA agent or whatever mm-hmm. it was that he wanted to right. do. Uh, they talk a lot about his like military service and like things like that, but like that to me feels kind of like you know if you want to talk about the politics of Elvis, like that's I mean that's a political statement. Uh, on Elvis's part, if there ever was any, like wanting to join federal law enforcement under Richard Nixon, you know, the most kind of one of the most egregious uh, presidents in terms of law enforcement. So, you know, I, th- that that was something that I th- kind of assumed they would have like f- they they allude to it. They talk a little bit about it, but they kind of mm-hmm. don't flesh it out that much. Yeah, I feel like they mostly talk about it in relationship to like his own drug addiction, because there's that scene, right. that footage of him being like. Oh, you know, like I'm a federal agent and a black belt in karate. And, you know, would they let me do that if I was a a junkie or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's kind of the context of where they pulled in that whole DEA Nixon stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's like, there was, I mean, there was enough of a, uh, there was enough information about that topic. I I didn't see it, but there was enough information about it to like make a movie out of it. Yeah, Kevin Spacey movie. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) and uh michael shannon right michael shannon yes yeah i mean it's so true there's so much you could go into there about like the dissonance that is that scenario where he's like you know a junkie also aims really wants to be you know head of da or whatever he wants to be associated with the hierarchy of law yet is completely not following it i think there is a dissonance to dig into right there so i feel like on that point Mm -hmm. they could have gone a lot deeper yeah, one thing I thought I I think I mentioned this to Jonathan while we were watching it is I saw on the poster it said Lana Del Rey was featured in the movie and I think there's a point where she sings a song and that's she like so you hear her in the movie but um you don't actually see her and I felt like she felt like someone that would be like a contemporary artist that would make a lot of sense to actually like say something about Elvis and like more specifically about Priscilla who is only like barely touched on yeah in in this movie like you see her for like one second and some newsreel footage and they talk about how he had a fleeting relationship with her in Germany and that's kind of it and I feel like Lana is like so Elvis and Priscilla vibes you know Mm -hmm. that's just like who she is and I've, I've heard kind yeah. of like weird, interesting things about like their relationship with each other that he was like, he, you know, he had this reputation for being, um, I mean, you know, everyone was talking about like the, the sexuality of like rock and roll and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he had this very kind of like, uh, from what I've heard, he had this very kind of like almost monastic like relationship to sex. Like he was, he was like not. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that was something that like would have been interesting to know more about as well like what his you know his personal relationships and things like that yeah right because when he became famous or you know super popular he wasn't very popular otherwise right he was just like quite normal like Mm -hmm. like he wasn't like the school jock 
at all, right? right yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just that he was into music, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But also, yeah, in a very personal way, like he would go like sit on the floor of the church, but like he was, I guess he was in a lucky position where like he was an adult. So he wasn't, he didn't feel the divide between white and black music as much as other people might've. Cause like adults were like, yeah, we weren't allowed to go to Beale street. You know, like it was all black cousin. We couldn't integrate in Beale street. So, but he was in a lucky position where he could like sneak in. He was young enough to embrace black music and not feel weird about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I suppose, you know, that was an important element to his success. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. I will say there's there's so much to the Elvis story, and I do get like so much of it in this, and there's clearly more that they didn't get in this, but also what they had in the movie was maybe too much, also. (laughs) So it's 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 a hard job, I think, to kind of boil down Elvis, and I feel like they must have had so much more footage, and like he must have just boiled it down to what was in here to like strengthen the the parallel to the American story. I mean, it is yeah. tough to tell the complete story of the most mythologized yeah. American musician <laughs> ever and the oldest democ and the decline of the oldest democracy in the world. Like, it's a little like, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a tough feat to to tackle. It's a big task, yeah. Um, I just wanted to go through some of the things that Ethan Hawke said in this movie because mm-hmm. you know this is mm-hmm. an Ethan Hawke right. podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Um. Yeah, so one thing I really liked, he said, um, when my grandfather was a kid, our biggest export was agriculture. When he died, our biggest ag- uh, our biggest export was entertainment. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's King. True. Man, yes. He also... Well, yeah, I like how, you know, Ethan Hawke is reflective on his own existence as an actor and as a part of Hollywood. He's like... <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He sees the flaws in it and he calls them out. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, he also talks a little bit about like Elvis's acting career. Um, and he says, um, it's interesting that right when he was changing the world with music, he wanted to become an actor, which is kind of like an astute point. It's like, he could have just kept on making music. He didn't really need to do this. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he does these not great movies about which Ethan Hawke says, so you understand this is Elvis Presley. He's stuck on the bench doing shit, shit ass movies for ten years, which I thought was fun. That Ethan Hawke said shit ass in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it seems like it was almost like a reprieve for Elvis. Like I imagine Elvis wanted a break from all the ridiculous fame, mm-hmm. and being in Hollywood was a way to like almost step back from the the pressure of music. Because like I'd imagine he knew he was terrible, but at least it was like somewhere new and fun that you know. He wasn't expected to be the best necessarily. That's he could write on his fame from music. Yeah, I think part part of the impression I got was that he like he basically ended up signing on to a deal that was much longer than he could actually sustain. Mm-hmm. So like he uh. starts off and he does a few of these movies and they're like they're okay or they're in- entertaining or whatever, and then it just kind of declines. And I think I I guess I mean I've like heard stories like that with musicians where like. You know, they get signed on to like a six album contract or whatever. And then eventually they're like, they get to the sixth album and they're like, all right, let's just crank one out and like be done with this because we don't want to, you know, or they have issues with the label. They have issues with each other or whatever. So I think that I I imagine that it seemed like that was kind of the situation with him where like he signed on to this long movie contract and then eventually was kind of like not, he wasn't that good at it. And he wasn't, he seemed like he was kind of done with it after a while. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
one more one more Ethan Hawke quote. He says, uh, when the Beatles came to visit Elvis in California, he was a relic of the 1950s. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, like a, yeah, like a narrator, a documentary narrator line. You know, but it just comes so naturally out of him. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I believe that everything with Ethan Hawke was just, like, one take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just has a lot of things to say about Elvis that are, like, you know, really astute and historically correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him. He's so quick to reframe it, reframe mm-hmm. things for the truth. Because, like, yeah, when, was that, when did the Beatles visit him, like, late 60s? I think so, yeah. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not that long after the fifties, and yeah, but it's true. People were already done and ready for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting because you know Elvis's career kind of there's like the part where it lapses, there's the part where he comes back, and all those kinds of things. And like to contrast that with the Beatles, where they were around for less than ten years, and that was it. Like that's that's just kind of an interesting like I don't know difference. But uh, the, I, I read this interview, I think it was like Paul McCartney or something like that. He was talking about when they met Elvis for the first time. And he was saying, and you know, I mean, they were like, like I said, they were massive, massive Elvis fans. And um, they said that he was saying that we went into his room and he like uh, took a remote and turned the TV on. And then like, that was the most amazing thing we'd ever seen. Like they had never, like this was like new technology. And, you know, Elvis is <laughs> understandably one of... Very you know, rich. And yeah, exactly. One access. of the first people to get it. So the first time they saw a TV remote was in Elvis's room. And they're like, That's wow, incredible. this is incredible. <laughs> That's just so kind strange. It's kind of funny to think about. Yeah. You know, I think the Beatles got the joke that is fame. They were, like, aware. They were self-aware. Like, we're more popular than Jesus. And they knew how ridiculous it was. Mm-hmm. Where, like, Elvis didn't really get the joke. He thought, yeah. you know, it was a little bit more sincere than the Beatles knew. Right, right. Definitely. And they kind of did a similar thing too, like, because they were making movies as well. And, mm-hmm. like, they had, like, movies, like, themed after their albums that were being released at the same time, like, cross promotional, like, and that kind of, I mean, like, Elvis kind of made that a thing, you know? Like, I feel like before mm-hmm. Elvis, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know of many musicians that were, I guess, maybe Sinatra. Well, I don't know when the mm-hmm. year Sinatra was, but, you know, he was doing, like, the yeah. movies and stuff like that, Ocean's Eleven and all that. Mm-hmm. He was doing the singing and the... Um, That's true. Yeah. But it, it is wow. it is interesting that, like, that kind of... Now we think of musicians as, uh, like, media figures, as content, you know, they make uh, mm-hmm. music videos that are basically movies and things like that. Sure. And there was a yeah. time when that kind of wasn't a thing. That's like, I mean, this is not really like a criticism. It's just, yeah, no, it's yeah, true. Everything's true. And I, I, you're right. And I think also Elvis and the Beatles set a precedent for musicians not being great actors. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. Unless you change your name, like you know Donald Glover, great, you mm-hmm, know, but mm-hmm. he had to change his name. Yeah, I think that's, that's the true. key. All you have to do is change your stage name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Surely, I think we should talk about the comeback i think that's really Mm -hmm. the end of the movie kind of culminates in like his comeback slash the brief period after that so Mm. he has this um in 1968 elvis has like this big comeback and uh some people who knew him are like oh he hated that word comeback um but that's what it was he had like a 
you know, a, a special where it was him and his original band and they played all the old stuff like the way it should have been played. And he just had like a really good night mm-hmm. and he wanted to tour after that. Um, but then his manager was like, no, you'll do a residency in Vegas and everyone will come to see you and you won't have to yeah. go anywhere. Even yeah. though he was like saying like, I want to see the world. I want to go places. I want to do this. Yeah. Um, but his manager made him go to Vegas and he ended up getting like this deal with like the Hilton and he did a residency and Ethan Hawke says about this, um, about the manager, he says, why does he do this? Because he's a lying sack of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then there's like a montage at this point of election night and the Vegas casinos, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so everything's happening really fast and bright in your face. And also it's the 2016 election night and it's like very stressful. violent yeah. and stressful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and that goes how it goes and um <laughs> uh and then after that he does a cbs special where he's like really messed up looking like he can't yeah. even make yeah. words come out of his mouth but what he does do though is he performs unchained melody uh, and it's like you know beautiful yeah. and and really incredible yeah. and everyone kind of like remembers him for doing that quite possibly the most honest performance of his life yeah 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 that that was that was just like uh, that made me feel for him you know because it's just like just watching him like f- basically f- before he does that song he's basically just like falling apart on stage totally. He's just totally lost totally like and he's like trying to make jokes about how he's incoherent but it's clearly just like he's just you know yeah it's like not funny yeah it's just true it's just it's 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 really i mean it's really sad it's really sad to see stuff like that and like you know you think about like like someone like amy winehouse who like yeah a lot of these people they they a lot of people love them but they don't have anyone that like can really Mm -hmm. care for them and then these terrible things happen britney or Lindsay, i think would also be a good comparison like they basically they basically don't have an out if they want any break they can't take it because everything they're building up rides on them continuing yeah. to produce and go out there. Yeah. You know, so like, I, th- I feel like in each of these cases, you know, Brittany or Amy or all this, like there's one person who was personally um, tied to their value that was pushing them to do this. Yeah. Which is, you know, really sad. They, yeah. It yeah. This, their choice the, the, that was being made. The, the people that have sway over them, are self-interested and the people that actually care about them end up not having that much sway over them. Mm-hmm. That's right. kind of the, the sad thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's a message there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So his performance of Unchained Melody kind of plays over a montage at the end of like all of American history over the last 50 years. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's a, like you see like everything that's happened yeah. over the last 50 years in this montage. Um, and then Ethan Hawke says kind of towards the end, um, Elvis at every turn picked money and where did it put him uh, dead and fat on the toilet at 42? Jeez. Yeah. And then montage of America. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super not uplifting. There are funny no. points and there are fun points, but 
it's not an upper it's a downer <laughs> yeah it's true yeah it was good though i rated it, it four stars on letterboxd which is usually about how nice. high i'll go for a documentary wow Sorry. I, yeah um not that there aren't great documentaries out there i just have a pretty particular rating system (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no i mean i thought it was i i thought it was a a very watchable movie Mm -hmm. i thought that all of the contributors were really had different perspectives and were very interesting to listen to i like the way that you know like different matters were looked at from like a you know different angles and um you know i learned a little something about elvis that i didn't know and uh now i can think about him in terms of uh, american democracy and the <laughs> decline thereof it's true yeah i do appreciate the context that framed uh his life in this documentary i think yeah it definitely has a unique take on his life that i would almost rather see than a straightforward biography yeah 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 i agree it is worth watching yeah definitely yeah oh i was gonna say this at the beginning when we were all talking about our elvis history but um i would say probably for me my uh my early elvis introduction would be uh lilo and stitch um hound dog is prominently featured in in lilo and stitch and that was that was i mean we were pretty young then that was 2003 Mm -hmm. yeah i think so i feel like that's a reasonable and not too embarrassing thing to admit (laughs) (laughs) it's true yeah Oh, it's time for Hawk Fact. Connor, would you like to do a hawk noise? <laughs> so good. I loved it. Beautiful. You. Get my laptop. Okay. All right. So, this movie is... <gasps> I'm what? just really excited for your You're hawk really fact. Excited. Yeah, I'm always excited. This movie is all about rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So, I was looking into uh, rolling... <laughs> and rocks as they regard um hawks so uh two, <laughs> two this is a two for two facts just mm-hmm. like uh this movie's about the duality of elvis in america this is about the duality of birds um so uh so a lot of birds they eat they'll like eat rocks and this is basically because like a lot of them don't have teeth Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they'll like swallow like pebbles and stuff like that and they use it as a way to like digest material mm-hmm. so like the rocks within their stomachs will like help crush break down food. break down food particles and stuff <laughs> like that Ew. yeah uh which is pretty interesting but uh hawks actually they uh raptors in general they don't um they don't do that they just kind of uh most owls and hawks swallow small birds and rodents whole. The non-digestible feathers, bones, and fur remain in the gizzard and after time are compacted into a pellet and regurgitated. So they have a different... Uh, they don't swallow rocks in order to... Sexy. To, uh, to eat. But a lot of birds do, which is kind of an interesting thing. I love her regurgitated pellet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I was looking into uh, northern harriers, which are a type of hawk. Uh, and it says here from allaboutbirds.org, uh, Northern Harriers fly low over the ground when hunting, weaving back and forth over fields and marshes as they watch and listen for small animals. They eat on the ground and they perch on low posts or trees. On the breeding grounds, males perform elaborate barrel rolls, 
to court females. Mm. So we have rocks, we have rolls, we've got rock and roll. That's amazing. I loved it. Yeah. What were your sources there? Oh, yeah. So the the one about rolling was uh, all about birds. Mm-hmm. And then uh, about eating rocks was bird watching daily. Oh, is that a new one for you? It's a new one for me. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Uh, I have two questions. Yeah. Has Ethan Hawke ever owned any pet birds? Uh, not to my knowledge. He has two dogs. Mm-hmm. But I do not and know about, about birds. Would you consider writing a letter, a petition to a hawk, um, a hawk re- rehabilitation center, and ask them to name one of them Ethan? <laughs> I feel like I saw something about a hawk that was trying. They like the owner, like wherever the hawk was living, was they were trying to figure out a name for it, mm-hmm. and they one of the one of the possible names was Ethan Hawk. I think there was something else though. I can't remember what it was, wow. but it was a possible hawk name. I I wish I could remember where maybe this was. Ethan Hawk sued them. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds just like him. <laughs> Ethan. We're all doomed because of capitalism, Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, do we have any final thoughts about this movie or about Ethan Hawke or anything? No. no. I guess I look forward to seeing or to hearing, you know, Ethan's hot takes on, you know, the next few months. Oh, yeah, for sure. True. Um, he's He's been posting some stuff, you know, he's he's political, obviously, and on the on the Instagram he's done. He's not on the Instagram a whole lot, but he is political and he has his new show, Good Lord Bird, coming out, which yes. is um, he plays John uh, John Brown and it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be kind of a big deal. Like yeah. Showtime has really been they Showtime pushed it several times and now it's coming out right before the election after they put out the Comey rule. So everyone got their Showtime subscriptions. So they could watch the Comey rule this weekend. And now this upcoming weekend, uh, Good Lord Bird is going to start, and I think that I think that they're trying to make it a big deal. I don't know. Anyway, oh, that's great. That's yeah. come up. Yeah, and it's he's been doing a bunch of interviews and stuff, and it's given him a lot of opportunity to talk about you know political things and yeah. what a nightmare everything is. So yeah, yeah, nice. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'll never get tired of hearing Ethan Hawke say, you know, John Brown was an abolitionist. He really wanted to save us all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Um, yeah, he's real deep in that character, and I love it. Anyway, I'm Ben Harper, and you can find me on the internet at Harping About on Instagram and Twitter and all the places. And something I've been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke lately is last night I watched Spelling the Dream, which is a documentary about the relationship. Another documentary. I'm just in a documentary place wow. right now. Um, but yeah, it's about um, Indian Americans and their relationship and history with the spelling bee, like the Scripps National wow. Spelling Bee in America. And it's really, it's just really good. Um, I... Yeah, I thought it was just going to be one of those, like, you know, kids crying on their way to the Spelling Bee movies, which I'm also <laughs> really in- into. <laughs> um, but, you know, because I'm a, I'm a big nerd and I always wished I had been, like, in a Spelling Bee and I watched them on TV. You know, they show them on ESPN. And, um, like, I was, I used to watch they show them. show them on ESPN. Yeah. It's, wow. Yeah. And I, it, it would be great if they would get, like, the, you know, basketball color commentators to, like, 
to, to, to do the spell like if charles barkley mm-hmm. was like doing the spelling bee that would be great yeah well yeah that was kind of part of the thing was that like uh, a couple years ago there was this one kid who was in the spelling bee and he was like wearing a nike sweatshirt with like the swoosh on it and um uh, you know and he just like seemed really cool and it was just like so it's so exciting for like indian americans to see like a cool young indian kid who was like you know just killing it on espn in the spelling bee mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. like wow. yeah so <laughs> that is that's, the epitome of cool yeah <laughs> Yeah, and he was like, yeah, no, I'm just so excited I get to tell my friends I was on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a really nice documentary. It's on Netflix, so very easy to watch. Woodwreck. Solid. Jonathan, nice. where can the people find you, and what have you been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke? Okay, uh, well, my name is Jonathan. You can find me, I guess we've established that. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at John's Avaletta. Um a thing i've been enjoying uh i'm gonna plug netflix's competitor here hulu because mm. i was watching uh pen 15 second yes. season of pen 15 mm. the first half of the second season because the production basically uh got stalled because of covid19 but they they it it ends on like a really a pretty satisfying uh midpoint for this sh- for the show so it's a great show if you if you're fine being deeply uncomfortable <laughs> then it's then i recommend it yeah I'm, man yeah oh yeah that that second season i didn't realize it was just a half but man it gets real it gets yeah. awkward and it gets real yeah it does it's i'm very, emotional. very bad at watching things that make me uncomfortable like that show makes me uncomfortable so i couldn't i had to stop watching when the first season was out i couldn't make it through the whole first season but then jonathan was watching the second season and i was just in the room and i couldn't st- I, I couldn't stop watching it and I, yeah it was they did some good stuff mm-hmm. it's good sometimes yeah. it hits kind of close to home i'm like oh man yeah big time yeah definitely so that's when we pair, I mean, when we're watching, like, sad stuff like that or, like, Mr. Robot, we pair mm. it with a RuPaul's Drag Race to sort of lift the spirits. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. it's, 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 it's kind of a heavy show. Like, it's, it's darker than you'd expect it to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, 30-year-old women being 13-year-olds. It's pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Connor, where can the people find you? What have you been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke? And do you have anything else you'd like to plug? Yeah, you can find me on the gram at my name, Connor <laughs> Style Vance, where I make and share music very similar to the theme song of this podcast. A lot of bleeps and bloops. Very nice. <laughs> we love um, it. And speaking of spelling and spelling bees, I've really been enjoying Words with Friends. I finally jumped on the train. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I grew up playing Scrabble with my family, and I was never great, but I enjoyed it. Um, and Ari always found it boring, so I brought her onto Words with Friends, and now she's crushing me. So <laughs> That's that fun. part I actually am not enjoying, but otherwise, I'm <laughs> I'm enjoying getting crushed by most of the players on there, anyways. <laughs> Very fun. Yeah, that's my relationship to spelling games when I play with Harper. So I don't try to make you spell with me anymore. Well, though. I'm just uh, we played Boggle once, and it was like so stressful for me to like do that with you. This <laughs> <laughs> is personal. It is. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, and I feel like we should also say Ari is a former guest of the show. Yes. Yes. Uh, you may have heard her on the Before Sunset episode. 
Yeah, the second one. The second it? one, yeah. yes. Um, so, yeah, if you missed that hello. one, go back and listen to it. Hello. Oh, hello. hello. Hi. <laughs> froze, though. Oh, yeah, you froze. So if you were here, we didn't see you, but I heard you. <laughs> yeah, it was just audio. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make them more than say hi? Yeah, come over and yeah, say hi. Yeah, come over and say hi. <gasps> Oh, do you have like a needle in your mouth or something? She does. I could tell. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's not the first time. You talking shit. Oh, no. I was just asking if you had a needle in your mouth because it sounded like it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, cute. That's fun. It's a butterfly almost. Wow. It's, yeah, that's going to be cool. That's nice. It's going to be cool when it's done. Yeah. Uh, bye. <laughs> this is Craft Corner. Our yeah, new Craft segment. Corner for the listeners at home. It was a uh, an embroidery hoop with uh, a butterfly in progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the you were mentioning Words with Friends, and I was. I, do you remember? Okay, so Words with Friends, like you said, it was had its heyday a few years ago. Yeah. It was very popular a few years ago. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember this, but there was this story about Alec Baldwin. I was thinking of it because he's in this movie. But there was a story where he was on a plane and he was playing Words with Friends. And he, the like flight attendant was like, oh, you have to put that away now. (laughs) And he was so into his game of Words with Friends that they like ended up ejecting him from the flight or something. Oh my God. Honestly, I'm not surprised. Like Alec Baldwin is kind of annoying. (laughs) He's a lot. Yeah, he he has a reputation. Yeah. Yeah. He's not completely terrible, but he does have some really not healthy parts about him. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> well, Connor, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It was such a delight to have you. Thanks um, for having me. Great to see you, too. Yeah. yeah. And it was good to, good see, to see you. See we you. haven't yeah, seen you in so like a long. million years. Minute. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we'll have to have you guys for our next Riverdale Film Festival. We've kind of been doing that over Zoom, if that speaks yeah. to you at all. Okay. Okay. And I suppose we could try karaoke, Zoom karaoke. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to do that. I don't know how it would work, but maybe if we all had wireless earbuds. I have wireless earbuds now because I feel like you have to be like kind of mobile, but mm-hmm. you don't want to have headphones like but you don't want to have nothing plugged into the like the audio oh, just coming out yeah. because you'd get the feedback situation right, right, right. uh yeah there's a lot to consider there i have thought about it quite a bit because <laughs> <laughs> nice. all i want is to do karaoke at games again yeah and uh well we'll never get Otherwise to do that we can meet on your lawn and if we each bring our own microphone i think it's a bit safer that's true that's we true. could do that yeah <laughs> all right things to consider cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, uh, good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs> Till next time. Bye. <laughs>